Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode 118 for January 23rd, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about breaking down plywood, Shapton glass stones, adapting festal hoses, some hand plane talk, and we're also going to go off on a little bit of a tangent concerning Kickstarter projects and whether you're a, um, a woodworker who, who makes uh, content online, whether you're an actual uh, you know, custom woodworker, there are potential opportunities for you in something like Kickstarter, so we're going to talk a little bit about that and give you our thoughts on it. Before we get to any of that stuff, though, let's hear from our sponsors. Today's show is supported by ArborTech, makers of creative wood shaping tools. Their latest product, the TurboPlane, is the smoothest, fastest, and safest way to freehand shape wood. See it in action at arbortech.com.au and be sure to join their woodworking club for free plans, ideas, and other benefits. Remember to tell them that the Wood Talk guys sent you. And by Microjig, creators of the Gripper 3D Push Block, an American-made precision safety guidance system for the table saw and the wood shop. Visit microjig.com to sign up for their newsletter today. Sweet. Hey, hey folks. <laughs> I love our sponsors. They're so <laughs> awesome. Hey, folks, if you have a comment, a question, or maybe a topic suggestion, you know what? You have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. And don't forget, you can email us at WoodTalkOnline at gmail.com. And you can even leave us a comment over on our WoodTalk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or the downloads from today's shows or any of the previous ones, you're going to find those over at WoodTalkShow.com. So with that all out of the way, oh, yeah. I say we find out what's going on on the benches. On the you benches. benches? You got benches? Shannon does have multiple benches. Yeah, I you do, do have multiple sh- benches. What are you, like three, four, five? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a saw bench, a workbench, a joiner bench. I'm actually thinking about making a hewing bench because I'm stupid. <laughs> all right. That sounds good. And my neighbor took down a tree and there's a big <laughs> hunk of log out in my driveway that he gave me that would be kind of cool. Nice. Anyway, uh, yeah, what's on my bench? Um, actually, I'm kind of looking for some input from you guys on this. I um, oh, you're uh, I wrote a <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I wrote a post on this, but I also just produced a, a video for the hand tool school. But I was building a whole bunch of compound mortise and tendon joints, and really, for me to kind of wrap my head around it, I needed to take it out of the abstract. You know, instead of just being a mortise and tendon joint, it was the back leg of a chair. And it's that crazy thing where the chair leg is coming in at an angle, the tenon or the seat rail is coming in at a different angle. And it's just this crazy, crazy joint. It basically comprises the back side rail back leg joint of most traditional side chairs, mm-hmm. Queen Anne, Chippendale, and then even into um, some of the more modern designs. Um, so I made like six of those joints, actually no, eight of those joints. Um, I made a bunch of just regular splayed tenons. So basically, I have like two-thirds of four different chairs made nice. at this point. And they're made out of like totally different wood species. Like the leg will be made out of fur. The, the, the rail will be made out of like, you know, mahogany. Just scraps that I had lying around that happened to already be planed. So right. I didn't have to do a bunch of extra work just for a demo. And I was sitting here looking at this and going, you know what? I could fit that together and that together. And end up with like a complete chair frame. So I started thinking, how can I actually turn this into a project? I mean, it's <laughs> ugly as sin right now. I mean, there's been no shaping or sculpting 
that all those chairs, they tend to be kind of built blocky. And then whether there's a cabrio leg or, or, you know, a more modern design leg, it's shaped afterwards, kind of right. like you know, Maloof or, or Brock style chair. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it, it's hard to get the feel for it now because it's just so blocky and everything. But the worst part is the patchwork of all the different woods. Yeah. And I started thinking, there's got to be a way I can do this. And it just got my head turning. It's like, um, I don't know, like some sort of modern art. If it's totally un, totally not functional, great, it's art. Right. So I started to wonder, what can I actually do with this? Have you guys ever done something like that where you've just like thrown a bunch of stuff together and then like, eh, maybe I'll make something out of that? Just a whole hodgepodge <laughs> sort of thing. Um, yeah. No, because I'm I'm definitely bad at making prototypes. I tried it like I don't know what it is, but I resist it as much as possible until I absolutely need to. So I very rarely have a lot of prototypes laying around that I could even <laughs> assemble something that would look like anything. Um, this so also I'm, may I'm no be help. the issue of a guy that works for a lumber company. Yeah, you've got too much wood. I admit it, lumber. I, I, I love wood. I love respect to all the different species, but it's not quite as valuable as it used to be send all um, of your hate mail to shannon it's at one the of things where, you know i i well i said it today on twitter i truly am saddened by the state of the dumpster of the lumberyard right now it's like overflowing with incredible wood wow and i'm like nothing to do with that i mean something's got to power the kilns at some point we can't just <laughs> we can't just power them by electricity that's that would terrible cost a fortune but you know, there's some trash in there, but it's like I'm sitting there looking at it um, going, ooh, I could make a tabletop out of that and another tabletop out of that and another tabletop. It's like, what am I going to do with all this stuff? Well, that's that's a good point and totally unrelated. Do you recommend, you know, working at a place like that if someone stops by and says, hey, can I dig through the, the scrap bin or the, the garbage bin? Do you guys mind? Because there's a lot no, of times there's I, usable stuff in there. We we have it happen all the time. Nice. The the, the issue funny thing is, is I think usually the guys go, "Hey, is that Shannon? He got a lot shorter." <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, we have a local um, crab house that um, has you know those wooden mallets you use for cracking open shells. Mm-hmm. They're made out of mahogany. Okay. <laughs> because he comes down and like grabs a for you know to make one of those little crab mallets, you need what 0.0001 board feet do it yeah (laughs) he goes and grabs like 20 board feet of like eight quarter something and ends up making all the crab mallets he needs for the entire season so nice you go to don's crab house it's like ooh, look at this fine (laughs) fine mahogany crab mallet but yeah it happens all the time um the worst part is is i think a lot of the guys that come and fill up their truck with it are getting firewood that's what mm, I was just thinking. That's even that's, more sad. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering, but, maybe is a lot of it something that you could smoke with? Maybe like a nice smoke, you know. Some of the domestics at least. Maybe yeah. the domestics. I wouldn't there smoke they, with the exotics. I want my I Bobingo smoked ribs this weekend. And uh, <laughs> yeah, half of my family's dead now. So sorry about that. <laughs> I mean, the the issue is, is, is uh, you know, I really, there's just no space. I can't just pull stuff out and set it aside for somebody. You know, somebody's like, oh, I'll come by next week. I just... Mm can't do it there's just too much material that moves through there daily so it's one of those things where you know tomorrow morning those dumpsters will be empty and the wood that's in them will be in the grinder um, yeah. to be i mean it, it grinds it up and it you atomize the sawdust and that powers the boilers that heat the kilns hmm. you know there's seven kilns that's a lot of steam pressure and everything to heat those things so um that dumpster fills and empties sometimes two and three times a day wow so like um Andy Chidwick came by the lumberyard when he was in town for the woodworking show. And I was like, yeah, if you want, you know, 
pieces for demonstrations, you know, you're on the woodworking show, you're probably going to need some stuff to make seat joints or whatever. Um, feel free. And by the time we got over the dumpster, it was already empty. And I felt like a real jackass. <laughs> was like, um, sorry, <laughs> there's nothing there. But I mean, so some days there's nothing there. Some days it's completely full of stuff. It just depends on what we're running. But it's, it does, I, I take solace in the fact that it still breaks my heart to see all that wood there. The minute that it doesn't bother me, then I need to quit. Oh, and, that that's going to be a rent, right around the corner. You're, you're <laughs> jaded. You're jaded. <laughs> You'll be jaded and skeptical of <laughs> everything just <laughs> well, you know a couple of thoughts i had is uh the the last woodworking in america that, that we attended um steve shannessy did a discussion and i cannot remember exactly what the discussion was but i know he was showing off a piece that he was building and if i remember right that was like almost kind of like what you're describing where it's like a hodgepodge of different species that he put together almost completely just for the prototype kind of a thing like I think right. I want to try this here. I want to try that there. And it was kind of an interesting looking piece to look at because there was definitely a few species where you could tell that's not what I would normally be doing with that. Right. And then the other thing I was thinking is, and again, this kind of goes to the whole thing about the fact that I've never built a chair or anything, but aren't there certain chairs or certain points where like maybe you use different species for different parts for different components, like maybe oh, yeah. something that's sure. a little bit easier to 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 shape and curve say for the the seat or something like maybe you can make a really tiny one like well, tiny especially furniture. with like like windsor chairs one of the reasons windsor chairs are pretty much always painted is because mm-hmm. there's a different wood for the seat a different wood for the bow a different wood for the legs sometimes the spindles are even a different wood from the bow um, because certain woods steam bend better than right. other woods you know you want good hard maple for the legs or something like that but hard maple doesn't bend worth a damn um, <laughs> so you use like red oak or or something some sort of ring porous wood for the the bow and that bends really really well um the seat's totally different but you know it kind of well with the idea of like let's face it this chair was essentially built from lumber from that same dumpster and the whole dumpster diving idea it kind of flies in the face of everything we hear about like grain matching and color matching and getting the best match for your piece of furniture. I mean, let's face it, those cutoffs, it's like one board out of every 10 that run through the saw gets a piece cut off. So, (laughs) I mean, the grain and color is all over. Now it may all be mahogany or all sapelia or something, but you know, there's a lot of variation from that. So I think it's, I think it's great for somebody that like builds small boxes or does kind of craft smaller type projects. It's perfect for that, but I would actually have a hard time building an entire piece of furniture from wood from the dumpster it would be really hard to find a good match well and i think you'd end up with just as much waste to get that match yeah and i think at some point we just kind of get lost in our own heads about you know (laughs) trying to get the most perfect grain match that we can but in reality a lot of people don't have that luxury so they're going to have to just grab four boards and go you know so i think learning to to deal with that and be okay with it is probably not a bad thing Oh, I'm thinking an Etsy grab bag for those Etsy Ooh, makers out there. There you go. <laughs> you know, I've I've thought about that more times than I can think, and it's just the work involved in pulling that lumber and selling it is just not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Matt, what's on your bench? Let's move on. All right. Well, my bench is nice and toasty warm, but I've actually been playing out in the garage right now. We are going through a cold snap, a really big cold snap. It's like six degrees outside when the sun is out. And I think what that's about, like 133 Celsius. I'm really bad at those conversions from Fahrenheit to Celsius. (laughs) But one thing I was thinking is I know I have given lip service to this whole thing about winter woodworking and trying to experiment. So once again, I grabbed my bottle of glue. I headed out into the shop or out into the freezing cold garage 
and I decided to start gluing up some things uh, just to see, again, what is the effect of winter gluing, and is there anything I need to think about when I'm doing that? And so I've been having a little bit of fun, again, getting some really strange looks from the family as I'm out there trying to break the ice inside the glue bottle and Mm -hmm. get it to start working again. And, of course, actually, some of the pieces did come into the freezer to warm up because it's actually warmer in my freezer than it is out in the garage. Wow. Um, but then the other big thing that I have, and this is just kind of a funny one because I think we've all dealt with this a little bit. I have my old table saw, the granite topped one, on Craigslist right now because I'm trying to you know move it out of the garage. And with the in, within two hours of putting it on there, I must have hit every scammer out there. And <laughs> I really, really wish that they would at least make an attempt not to copy each other. It must be a copy and paste template out there for Craigslist scammers when it comes to tools because these guys were – it was the – who knows? Maybe it was the same person. They both used at least three different emails to contact me within the same thread. Wow. So, Is it the uh, one where they, they actually want to give you more money than what you're asking for? You know, it, it kind of started out that way. And, of course, it also it is let me know the amount that we have agreed upon so that I can write the check to my – and then a, a really weird grammar, which actually yeah. looks like my grammar, uh, to my assistant. I will then contact you to make arrangements for the movement we may need to. And I'm like, all right, I'm not making a movement with anybody. Just click <laughs> here to make this happen. That's exactly. And it's amazing to me that after all this time and as long as they've been doing that standard Craigslist scam BS that they can't get a properly worded and, you know, something with with good English grammar, you know, that actually yes. looks like it was written by someone that you can trust. I mean, they, they have not figured that out yet. It's amazing. Yeah, or it is. So it, what's it, it's more important fun. probably is that there are still that many people falling for it that they don't have to change. Yeah. Yeah. That, the, the, when the first email came in, I was like, oh, this is good. By the time the second and then the third one came in, I'm like, really? Oh, Kind of takes the fun out of Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Well, so, good luck with that. Been, Hopefully well, you now, get a legitimate sale. <laughs> you know? Well, that's the thing is now I'm questioning because one did come in and I'm like, well, I haven't heard back from them now. Maybe this is the, the one legitimate. And it turns out that they think I'm illegitimate. Yeah, well, right. How do you handle that? But anyways, Shoot. that's what's been happening now with, with me. Mark, how about you? Now, you've delivered the bed. Are you still dressing up for that? Or <laughs> I did my dressing up last <laughs> week. And um, I'm just hoping that the client doesn't get upset when they see that. I mean, it's almost like, you know what I mean? Like I defiled their bed a little bit. You know? Right. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. So I, I I did deliver the bed on Thursday last week, which was a, a nice treat. It's always great to go to this this um couple's house because they've got so many pieces and we're trying to count them up. I was like, I thought it was seven. She's like, no, I think it's more like I forgot a few. It's more like nine things that I've made for them in the past. Uh, I don't know, six years, maybe uh, wow. five years. So um, it's just neat going there because you don't, a lot of times we make stuff for ourselves and then we keep them and I just take it for granted because I see it every day. But when I was, you know, the sort of close relationship you have with any project you build and then if you give it or sell it, uh, you give it to someone else, you just never see it again. So being able to go back and actually see all these pieces that I made in one place is just a really, really cool feeling. Um, and, and it's you good. you ever gone and seen one of your pieces that the client actually damaged? No. Like, no. that's it. I'm taking this with me. No, fortunately not. Uh, every one of these pieces looks uh, pretty much just as good, if not better, than when I gave it to them because now things have aged a little bit. Uh, so I couldn't be happier with, with the way they looked and the way they're being kept and, and especially the decor. 
a lot of people see the stuff that I've built for this client and they're like, oh, that, that just would not look right in my living room. Well, of course it wouldn't. You're not an African art collector. You know? <laughs> right. uh, this guy has very, very unique tastes and um, the stuff that I make for him looks great in his house. It might not look great in your contemporary home or, or you know, someone who decorates in uh, the mission style, but it looks great in his house. So yeah, I gotta say, I was really skeptical of that Winge and kind of silvery. Oh, who was it, dude? I thing was... when I saw it, like in your <laughs> on your on your site in your shop. Yeah, and then I I was looking at that, um, whatever that sacrificial dead person the bed, bed was. The dead bed. Um, I spent more time looking at the background in the photos <laughs> than yeah. the actual bed itself and i was like that looks awesome in there yeah it doesn't make sense i mean it wouldn't i'm sure it wouldn't make sense in any of our houses but uh in his house it looks fantastic and just works uh so you have to kind of trust his his taste i mean he's buying it he's writing the check so it doesn't really matter what we think but ultimately uh it looked good so so the bed was delivered he was out of town his wife was there to take the delivery uh, he basically is like a excited kid he wants to be the one to assemble it so i wasn't even able to do the assembly so yeah, I may yeah. have to do a, a house call later on just to give him a hand and show him some of the little tips and tricks to make it go a little bit easier. Um, but that's that's pretty much it. That was a, a very exciting thing and just good to close one door and move on to the next project. And and for me, the next project is actually not a project. It's writing. Ooh, uh, so writing with words. Words <laughs> and uh, ideas onto paper, well, onto a computer. and. Uh, well, yeah, My advice is don't let any of those scammers on Craigslist do any proofreading for you because it's going <laughs> to end up something like I would have written. Yeah, I need a, a copy editor. Can someone? Uh, uh, yes, please. I will send you a check and you'll meet with my in- assistant in New York. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, one thing I was thinking is as you were talking about going through and seeing those older pieces, yeah. um, have they discovered yet any of the things that you tried to hide? No. Any any errors? Are you like, oh, good, oh, no. they haven't found that one yet. Oh, it's no, still no. standing. No, I'm I'm too good for that. Uh, oh, no. good. Well, I'm glad to hear somebody. <laughs> For, honestly, to tell you the truth, if there were issues or little flaws in those projects, I probably don't even remember them. Um, they would they would have been minor things. Uh, there is one that there is a particular flaw where the it was a really it was a drawer that isn't going to receive a whole lot of uh, like activity. So it's not one mm-hmm. that I'm I'm really even worried about. But I I actually reversed my pins and tails on the drawer. Okay. <laughs> so, so they're backwards and you know, he's never seen it and he's never said anything. I guess if he happens to listen to this, he now knows, um, <laughs> but it doesn't look bad. I mean, even reverse dovetails look just fine uh, in through dovetails, but a person who knows what to look for looks at it and goes, Hey, wait a minute. Are those pins on the side? That doesn't make sense. You know? So, so that's probably one thing that I'm, I'm just waiting to find out about that. He's like, Hey, by the way, uh, but he's never said anything about that. So the one day it sticks and he pulls really hard and suddenly, like, whoa, what am I yeah, holding just, here? The whole front just flies off. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so the writing is really what's been keeping me busy. And I'll tell you, it's, I mean, we all write blog posts. We write things to accompany our videos and stuff like that. But writing long form is just the weirdest experience. It feels like you're just running in, in sand or in mud. You're just not getting anywhere. Um, I am putting stuff down and writing it's just I don't feel like I've actually produced anything at the end of the day. You know, like three days go by and I realized I haven't showered. You know, it's like it's just a weird mode to be in. So, <laughs> Hey, I think my wife's familiar with that one during the slow season. Right. Matt's writing all the time. So, you know, that's his excuse. Uh, so that's about it for me. Um, you guys want to move to the around the web? We've got some really interesting things to talk about. 
today. Uh, unlike last week, we had like practically nothing to talk about. So <laughs> yeah, we're definitely we had to restrain ourselves this week. We had yeah. too many things. To talk yeah, about. I actually put in three things, which is unusual for me. Uh, first one here was sent in from Kyle. It's uh, quirky.com. It's a new product, and it's something I think has some potential. It's basically flexible, moldable sanding pads. Now, I'm not a big fan of sanding pads to begin with, like the ones that you could buy at the home store. Uh, they kind of don't really work that well. I've, they, they seem to lose their sandability and their grit fairly quickly. Uh, the, the edges aren't really crisp enough to get into tight corners. Um, and I don't really do a whole lot of like spindle turning and stuff like that. So I wouldn't even need to use it for something along those lines. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of this. But what makes this product unique is think of like a piece of clay, but that clay has sanding grit in it. And you could warm it up and actually reshape it to any particular contour or any shape you want. It, you know, essentially it sort of conforms to that shape and then you can do your sanding. And because the grit is fully embedded uh, through the entire substrate, whatever this material is, it is always refreshed. So you can use it until it just is gone. So that's the concept, but I don't know for sure you know, if, if it will actually work, I would have to try it to, to say. So anyway, what I haven't figured out and looking at their website is yeah. like, what kind of grit are we talking about here? Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It just says three distinct grits and the problem is there's uh, not enough ability. Cause actually the, what I info. think about when I see this is sharpening, yeah. you know, sharpening gouges and really odd shaped things where you could actually mold it to the tool. Um, that would be really cool. It would, I would imagine it. I can't imagine it has enough rigidity to handle that though. I mean, yeah, I could be wrong, but I don't know anything about this. So, so the the website isn't all that great. At least I I wasn't able to really figure out much about this product. Or uh, like, there's one question. It's almost like they're asking survey questions. At what price would you consider this product too expensive and not worth the money? You put the number in, and then of course it wants you to link up your Facebook account and and do all kinds <laughs> of things. And I'm like, you know what? No, thank you. I don't. I, so not so much. Yeah. So check it out. It's it's interesting conceptually. Let's hope it actually does what it says it does, and this could be very useful. Yeah. You know, one thing that's kind of funny to me is it says you know you can put it in the in for three minutes into the microwave to help you know lock the the, the shape into position. That's probably not a good thing in my family because whenever I put something in the microwave, somebody usually comes along and steals it. <laughs> so uh, that might actually be kind of funny. God, you might yeah, get this is like horrible. old nacho cheese on it too. <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> That could be that could be fun, actually. I should get that. <laughs> All right. So the second one I've got here is a lecture series by Gary Rogowski in Brooklyn. And this is coming up soon. So I think it's like this weekend. Uh, let me see. Where's the date? Oh, January 26th. Yeah, Saturday. From 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock. He's basically doing three lectures. And you could either buy access to one lecture. It's 100 bucks. You can get all three lectures for 160 or you can get all three lectures and a catered lunch, which probably means a ham and cheese sandwich. Um, <laughs> and that's 175 So, But it has a great Poupon on it. Well, then it's definitely <laughs> worth it. Uh, clearly, I was asking uh, for the Swiss. Right. Uh, Rogalski knows his stuff. He's the man. This is definitely something. If you're in the Brooklyn area this weekend, you really want to look into this. It's at the Makeville Studio in Brooklyn, and I'll put the link in the show notes if you want to check it out. Cool. Sweet. Well, I um I just put something real quick. Um, the Benchcrafted blog put up a, a post this week. Uh, it was something about, hey, look, there's one of our benches in the background, but check out the photograph of this shop. And it's mm -hmm. just one of those, if I may say, workshop porn. It's yeah, just yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's it this beautiful timber frame shop. And 
you know, granted it's a, it's a chair maker shop, so it's mostly a, a hand tool type shop, but you could just imagine anybody would be inspired to work in that shop. Heck so yeah. oh, it's just beautiful. go blow up the picture. It's nice high def photo and just stare at it for a while. It'll be a good way to like waste an hour or two at work tomorrow. Yeah. And see, the thing is, that's why I put the wall paneling up on part of my shop because it gives it that sort of warmer feeling. And compared to this shop, my shop looks like a sort of some medical facility or lab. (laughs) You know what I mean? This thing looks like what you would expect the classic woodworker image to, to, yeah. to look like. It's fantastic. That's, that's exactly it. It's so iconic. It's yeah. just a great photograph. Yep, totally. Actually, when I looked at those pictures, the first thing I thought of is this would be a great place for my wife to shoot a wedding because mm-hmm. we were just yeah. at a location that looked something like that. And then it was just, I hate it. I really hate that. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's do the Kickstarter thing after. Uh, do your whatever link you have in here, Matt. Okay. Well, this is to... Hey, you know, we've got a whole bunch of great woodworking weekends coming up kind of a thing. We, Of course, we have Woodworking America, Fine Woodworking has theirs, and now Wood Magazine has theirs coming out. It is May 17th to the 19th, 2013, and they're handling it as three days that will make take your woodworking to the next level. Boom. What level that is, I don't know. Whatever the next I, one is. Yeah, that's where, where you're at right now. It's going to go up. <laughs> one up. <laughs> one up. Only one. You nice. have to come back next year for the next level. But it looks like they, of course, they have the staff from the magazine and just looking at a few of the other things here. That if you go to the website, and of course, we'll have the links in there, you'll find all the great information. And again, that's coming up May 17th and 19th. I was asking Samantha if I could please maybe head over there to check this out. But the 20th is our anniversary, and she gave me that look like, really? You really want to try that? You, you want sure? to go for it? Sure, mister. <laughs> yeah. So then you would really see some stuff blowing up on Facebook, which might be amusing for the rest of you. But for me, not so mm-hmm. much. Well, I you look should just tell it. her that Heather and I spent our ninth wedding anniversary at Woodworking in America 2009. Oh, so, I'm going to write that right down right now. If she wants to be romantic. cool like the other wives, then, you and know. Heather... You've, you guys have some lucky ladies there, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Except that she uh, got swine flu the next day. So mm. don't. Don't tell Sam that part. Yeah, I won't tell her that part. Thanks. Yeah, no, no swine flu mention. <laughs> All right, <Nice>. thanks. <laughs> all right, so this will transition us into a interesting discussion. First of all, let's make a little bit of a announcement. Here we were contacted by John Lico. Is that how it's pronounced, guys? Have you figured that sure. out? Sounds yes. good, right? <laughs> I love how you ask, like, well, maybe not me. I'm just hoping you, you guys how to pronounce stuff. <laughs> I'm hoping you'll throw me a bone. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm alone here. No, I'm going to throw you under the bus anytime it comes to pronunciation. Well, it's L-E-K-O. Leave it up to you how you want to pronounce that. His name's John. And I actually caught this video from, geez, it must have been a pop woodworking link earlier last week. Uh, and I sort of reshared it on Facebook because I just thought it was compelling. Well, as it turns out, he has a Kickstarter campaign, and what he's looking to do is recreate a mechanical table. Now, Matt and I, I think, Shannon, you might have missed this show uh, a couple a couple shows ago. We talked about this big, it looked like a hutch uh, or high boy yeah, type the, thing. the Runskin, whatever. Or, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah exactly. So we were kind of making jokes about it, about how over-engineered it is, but the concept is you, you just turn things, and it's almost like a transformer. Well, that's essentially what this is. It's a smaller piece, and it's a desk or a little table that turns into a desk with the turn of a key. So there's some amazing inner workings and and just incredible complexity uh, that's going on inside this piece. So what John is trying to do is he got access to the original, uh, which is in a museum, and he was able to get enough information that he wants to build it. But clearly, 
it's going to be expensive and no one is commissioning this piece. So he wants to be able to utilize something like Kickstarter. And if you're not familiar with Kickstarter, first of all, we are not going to get into the habit of promoting Kickstarters on this show because Kickstarter is basically, I got something I want to do. Can you guys help me and pledge money so that I can get this thing done? Whatever it is, it can be anything. Um, So this is a potentially interesting use for woodworkers in in all types of situations to possibly get community funding to get something done. Uh, So so what John's trying to do is raise $6,000. That's the goal. And as Kickstarters are generally set up, there are, depending on how much you pledge, you might get a little something. Uh, And in this case, you might get a little piece of veneer or you might get a coffee table book or you might get the prototype if you you donate $5,000. Uh, so there's a lot going on here. And the reason, number one, we wanted to bring it up because John seems like a really nice guy. He sounds like he listens to the show. He contacted us and asked us to mention it. And it is a cool thing, what he's doing, because this type of skill, this type of uh, craftsmanship and artistry doesn't really exist anymore these days, or at least it's very, very limited. So the idea here and what he's, how he's selling it is that you'll have the ability to help and you'll feel good that you are helping to preserve this knowledge. Uh, so that's the thing I really want to focus on here because part of what bugs me about this a little bit, and I wrote John to talk about this, is how is this information going to be preserved? Other than the fact that John's rebuilding it and he's going to sort of tour with it, so you might have a chance to see it in action. Yes, that can inspire you. But other than that, how are we going to learn from this? How How is someone else other than John going to acquire the skill to build this and how is he going to pass it on? So that's my big concern about it. Excuse me. And uh, and I thought this would spur on an interesting conversation uh, with the three of us and whether whether you should be going to the community for something like this if you're not going to share that information. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it is right. it, it's an admirable thing to do to, to make this recreation. It's fantastic that he's doing it. How much skill must you know, that it takes to actually do this is amazing. John's got to be an incredible craftsman to just make this happen. Um, but but what do you think about this particular thing? And this also extends to other uh, Kickstarter projects that that some of them are more worthy than others. You know, they're asking for your money. What do you get for it? Right. I mean, so much of the time Kickstarter is about, um, well, pardon the pun, but kickstarting a product development. Yeah. Um, or occasionally, like I just supported um, Underhill Rose, the bluegrass band. It's um, Roy's youngest daughter. Hmm. Um, and what do I get? Well, I get the album. Right. You know, Something tangible. I get a digital download of the album, like the minute, well, before the CDs are available. So essentially I'm saying, I support you. I will buy this product. In fact, I just did buy that product. Mm-hmm. Well, in this instance, I'm not buying this table. So what am, what are we, what are we getting? You know, when you're promoting a product, well, what are you giving to the community? Well, you're creating a new product or a new album or something like that. In this instance, it's kind of hazy because what happens here? He builds, he gets to build the table, you know, um, and yeah, it's cool. It's way cool. But yeah. how is that any different from me saying, you know, I want to build another Windsor chair. So can you guys pay for me to go get the wood and pay for me to take off work for a while to go build it? Right. Um, it, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a fine line. I mean, there's some of this stuff that's because of the fact that this is a unique piece and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but doesn't he have something going with the Getty Museum where it is now? Like, yeah, yeah. You said for, something about touring around with it. I don't see where it says that in the Kickstarter. No, so. and I, I when I emailed him, I did get quite a bit more information that he is planning on uh, keeping a blog going about this and hopes to post video 
uh, and sort of just keep track of what's going on. But he is doing this with permission from the museum. And as a result, there are certain restrictions where his hands are tied with how much he can actually talk about because they're concerned about forgery. So, I mean, and that's, that's the sticking point for me is that if you're going to go to the community to say, help me build this, the payback when there's really, I mean, honestly, a coffee table book is really cool. Um, you know, pictures and updates and things like that. That's nice, but it's really not a whole lot in terms of a tangible thing that you're getting for helping. So the one thing that could be given to people, and this could go for everyone, and also serves that that noble goal of preserving the knowledge, would be to do just that, to preserve the knowledge in a way that other people can consume it later. And in today's day and age, there's just no reason why anyone can't set up a camera and get some footage. But again, we don't know to what extent his hands are tied and how much he can you know, put out there to the public. So I think that's the part that really bugs me about it. And as much as I want to, you know, wholeheartedly support a fellow woodworker who's clearly a talented and very nice guy, um, part of it that bugs me is I just don't feel like this really is going to benefit anyone other than him and the few people who get to see it in person and be inspired by it. Um, so I might be that might be a little bit rough, but that, I don't know. That's just kind of the way I feel about it. Well, let me ask this question. Okay, so since. One of the levels, of course, we keep mentioning that there is this uh, at the pledge two hundred fifty dollars or more. There's a hardcover coffee t- table style book yeah. showing steps in the process and the completed piece. What if rather than the Kickstarter, ex- really to be quite honest, I'm kind of indifferent about this. I totally get where you know what kind of what, the angle that you're talking about, right? And but at the same time, there's I. I'm a little dense, so there's those moments where I'm like, I think this is cool. <laughs> well, don't get but, me wrong; we think it's cool. It's yeah. just we're, we're yeah. being but critical. Guess, is it ra- rather than uh, saying, you know, help, help me to recreate this mechanical book? What what if it was presented instead as I want to create this book, a you know, a kind of like much like an album? You know, what if it was presented that way instead? You know, somehow it was worded that you know I want to I want to create this book, and if you could help me to do this, this is what the book would be all about. Would would that make a difference? I mean, that's a little bit better if I knew yeah. that the book was going to contain a good amount of detail. That it's not just going to be like finished pictures uh, and stories. And so I I would actually want to see the inner workings of this thing, which may be the exact thing that he can't show. You know, right. so, okay. I mean, let's be I, honest. I that he's. We're, we we as a community are funding the building of this. Once it's done, he's got this finished piece that, frankly, he could sell for a boatload of cash. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, right. and if it's good enough, the Getty Museum might even buy it. Um, right. So essentially, it's like, well, I don't remember what the goal is, like six grand or six something grand, like that. Yep. You know, so it's $6,000 to, to make it, and then he sells it for twenty five grand mm-hmm. <laughs> to the museum. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. Um so it's it feels like we I don't, we shouldn't be funding his ability to make a heck of a lot more money by selling this project that we helped build. So Matt's angle actually is kind of it, it's subtle, but it, it makes a big difference. It is a subtle difference, like, but it, it but it, it does it does make a difference. You're right. Because right. yeah, because it would be the same thing as if on Kickstarter you have programs where somebody is going to create a, a software or a, a game again. Uh, potentially they're going to be making a boatload of money. I almost yeah. said something else. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, well, so, imagine yeah. if, if the product was like a, a really in-depth video, yes. like mm-hmm. a, a Hendrik Varu video. That would be a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah. 1,000 hours on 27 <laughs> DVDs. Yeah. Um, 
that would I'd be all over this. Even I if it was even if it was an hour long DVD, as long as the DVD promised to show details from the build, right, uh, right. and and that was something that see a lot of these Kickstarters, like you're saying, Matt, they are basically you're funding the thing that's going to give you the option to buy something later. Right, right, you know, right. and you might get a discount if you, or you might get that product for free if you give enough money. So if if there were that type of production coming out of this, it would be a no brainer. I would be all over it. I would definitely give this guy some money and say, yeah, build it because I will buy that DVD when this is all said and done. Um, right. A now, book is a little less from appealing. A slightly different perspective. As a bunch of woodworkers looking at this, what do we want to know? We want to know how it's going to be built. Yeah, right. For the average like museum goer and art lover, they probably don't care. What they want is the coffee table book. Sure, sure. Yep. So maybe we're we're too close to this, you know. You know, we woodworkers go to museums and we crawl around on the floor to see how things are built. Yeah. You know? Well, well, and again, the only reason we're talking about this is because he did contact us and ask us right. to to promote it. So that's why you know we're that's why we're in this pickle. Um, yeah. But here's the yeah, thing, thanks, that, John. Yeah, thanks a lot, John. We appreciate it. Um, I think he'll probably think twice before he asks us for something again, <laughs> now that we've made an issue of it. Um, but hey, any press is, is good press. The bottom line is he's got $3,778, so he's over um, halfway there, and there's 23 days to go. So I think he'll make it. I, at this rate, I don't think there's any doubt that, that he'll get to that six grand. I mean, I hope he does. I, I, and don't get me wrong with any of this. All three of us want to see this succeed. Uh, Heck but yeah, this, after watching that one video from the last time, I mean, anything yeah. that has this really cool mechanical thing, plus the marquetry, plus just wood porn for the lack of a better description. I mean, yeah. I, I'm all over that. But at the same time, just keep in mind, if you are going to send us something and say, hey, can you promote our, our Kickstarter campaign, realize where we're coming from and what we're going to be looking at. Um, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but there was someone who who sent me their Kickstarter and he's basically just a woodworker who wants to build some stuff. And the Kickstarter was to give him money so that he could build more stuff. And it was, right. it was, you know, very, not really a big deal. He wasn't asking for a lot of money, but that's not necessarily something that we would promote. That's just someone trying to use Kickstarter to help get their woodworking business up so that he can make uh, pens and bowls and, and cutting <laughs> boards. I mean, it was, right. you know, so that's something that we can't really well, back. This I, is I, interesting. This one really gives us, uh, you know, we have to think about this one because it's, yeah, it's I mean, no very one, interesting. No one has touched this piece and, you know, centuries. Yeah. But I, I share this with you guys offline. If you remember um, several years ago now, there was a woodworker who lit, did a Kickstarter campaign and it was funded um, he wanted to basically walk through the joiner and cabinet maker. He wanted to build all the projects in the joiner and cabinet maker. And this mm -hmm. was a guy that had like no woodworking experience. And it was like, I want to take this journey. And he blogs about it constantly. Yeah. I mean, it's still going on. And all of everything he's learned from, you know, how to buy a plane to how to tune a plane to how to use a plane, to how to use a plane to build a school box. Um, and there's there's a significant amount there, and there's quite a bit of entertainment value to it as well. Um, but I think, if I remember correctly, his backing, his pledge levels, I don't think went above $100 too. Mm. So, okay. you know, I guess it really depends upon, you know, if you're asking for a heck of a lot of money per pledge, there there needs to be a little bit there. But if it's just a buck, you know, that obviously you need to temper your rewards with how much they're giving you. Sure, yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, I thought it was a good conversation and this is something if you are, you know, look, look at what this guy's doing. He may, he may very well succeed with this. So if you were looking to undertake something amazing like this, a Kickstarter, it, it could very well be something that you could use 
to do that. And we just might dissect the hell out of it on the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> so and, and, you know, and I do want to apologize to John. I don't mean to, to make an example out of him. He, like I said, he seems like a great guy and a very talented craftsman. And we, we absolutely wish him the best of luck. So we'll put the link in the, the show notes for the campaign. If you're interested in f- helping him fund it, you can go there and it's very easy to do on the, on Kickstarter's website. Exactly. As, Take a look at it. Faith, just, I think I'll just go ahead and pledge five bucks or something. Because... I think we owe it to him now, don't we? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, no I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go pledge, John. I haven't decided how much yet. It's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, we probably I, should. I, I can you. tell you Good for luck. a fact that it won't be at the $5,000 level for me currently. <laughs> I'll do the 5000 but he's got to put a marketry image of my logo on the top of the, the table if that'll work. Will that work, John? I'm, I'm going to send a random picture. It yeah. may, may not be family friendly, but I would like this in marketry. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the poll of the week. Matt, I think you got a really good one here this week. All right. Well, my poll of the week or our poll of the week actually is Edward J. Big Z Zabrowski. Now, for those of you in the Indianapolis, Indiana area, let me tell you something. You probably might be familiar with him. If not, I'm sure if you've ever driven through downtown and you looked at the skyline and said, you know, that's not such a bad skyline. I bet you Big Z had something to do with it because, you know, those demolition experts that demolish the building so it collapses in on itself. Mm-hmm. Well, and throughout Indianapolis, apparently Mr. Big Z Zabrowski here, that's what he did for like the past 30 years, I think it was. Unfortunately, this is kind of being awarded to him posthumously. He passed away earlier this month. He was 94. But I definitely had to throw this out there because on top of all of that, he's from my favorite area, Detroit, which is the Hamtramck area. So rest in peace, Big Z, and thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the beautiful skyline, Big Z. <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, the poll of the week from our buddy Tom Ivino at tomsworkbench.com is, do you like red oak? And this actually really spurred on a whole lot of conversation because some people like it. Some people are sick of it. Some people hate it. Uh, so out of a thousand votes, when I checked it this afternoon, definitely a good showing. 40% said, I use it for certain projects, but it's not my first choice. 17% said it's spiffy. I use it a lot. And 16% said, it's been done to death. I'll hold my nose and use it if I have to. And then 2.5% said, the perfect hardwood. I build all of my projects with it. And there were actually quite a few other uh, responses, but they all received around, you know, low, low level responses. So I didn't want to read through them all because it gets a little, a little uh, trying. But for the most part, 40%, that's a, a pretty good percentage there. I use it for certain projects, but it's not my first choice. Wow. They would love it in my neighborhood. The whole entire neighborhood is nothing but these giant red oaks. I mean, it's just there's not another tree in sight they have taken over. So I personally don't like them because of the fact that they hold on to their leaves till the very last second. And that's when they all come down on top of you. It looks like it's just raining leaves. It's disgusting. <laughs> nice. All well, right. If one of the people that really like it, I'll just say I have a, a 24 inch wide by nine foot long piece uh, that I just got today that'll be for sale on hardwoodtogo.com by the end of the week. Beautiful. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was in the trash bin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I bet it probably would be. All right, so let's move on to a voicemail that we have. This one uh, is from Michael. He's asking about breaking down plywood. Hey, guys, this is Michael Bond in Sherwood, Oregon, and I've got a question about uh, breaking down plywood. I recently reorganized my shop to solve a number of workflow issues, but uh, in the process, I've made the area around my table saw a little bit tighter, so it's it's you know, harder than before to get uh, you know, full sheets of, of sheet goods through it. I'm just curious how you guys handle sheet goods and how much you break them down before you take them to the table saw. 
Um, I don't have a, a fancy track saw, so um, I break it down with a skill saw and a straight edge. It still needs to be cleaned up on the table saw before I can do any, any sort of uh, cabinetry joinery on it. So uh, thanks. Appreciate your help and love your show. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thanks for that, Michael. Um, Shannon, do you even work with plywood anymore? Um, from time to time, very, very rarely when I do, it's, um, it's, uh, more of like a shop project or, sure, right. um, I built some built in cabinets recently and actually I will be using some probably this summer cause I got to do some built ins, just painted built ins in my master bedroom. Um, that's one of the reasons I bought a Festal track saw actually, cause I knew that project was coming and okay. I don't have a table saw anymore. And but... that's what you use to break it down as the track saw? Yes, okay. absolutely. And I do it before it even gets into my shop. I have to break down regular lumber before it gets <laughs> into my shop. <laughs> Just to get so, it in the door. To get it in the car, yeah. even, I have to break it down. So um, I'm generally, I'm the get it as, you know, an inch wide and an inch longer than it needs to be for the project and then bring it into the shop. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I, I break it down as, as much as I can. In fact, the smallest I'll break it down to preferably is I want to cut the sheets in half if I can get the components out of it. But I'll even go so far as to, to, to bring it down to the point where I could maybe cut just a, a couple of extra components. I'll do all the work with my track saw or maybe a couple of uh, a, a long jigs that I have to help me, you know, to, to rip. But I will do all the work out in my garage and then just bring the smaller pieces down because I really hate dealing with larger pieces of plywood on my table saw. I just... Mm-hmm. I know how to do it, but I don't always feel comfortable it's doing scary. it. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I really do feel like I can get, you know, a decent amount of work done with, you know, a nice set of jigs and maybe my circular saw and it works great. Cool. Yeah. I actually, oh, um, let me, I, let me actually say one thing because he said he didn't have a fancy track saw. Let me be clear. I break it down just using a hand saw and then right. I make my precise cuts using the track saw. So I'm breaking it into like, like you said, Matt, in half or in quarters. And then I'll cut the precision stuff out using. The, the track saw. So. Yeah. And here's the thing. He doesn't necessarily need a track saw to do that. You can make your own simulated sort of track guide for a regular circular saw. You don't need a fancy expensive setup and you could definitely be accurate enough to, well, you can even get your finished cuts off of that if you're careful, but oh, if you yeah. don't want to do that, you can get close enough and do the final trimming on the table saw and Heck that'll yeah. give you good results. In fact, I have one that I built like long ago, like mm-hmm. 10 years ago. The the first set of built-in bookcases I built, it was just using a craftsman, you know, seven and a quarter inch circular saw with one of those little guides. So if he wants it, he can have it. <laughs> there you go. Just go pick <laughs> piece it up. Piece of, of, of hardboard and some uh, MDF fence, I think. So there you go. Zero clearance. <laughs> cool. All right. Let's move on to some of the email here. We'll uh, rip through these real quick. Dear Wood Talk, I was listening to one of your podcasts and I believe one of you said that they had just received their Shapton glass stones for sharpening. I'm considering purchasing the woodworker set from Craftsman Studio, and it seems the cheapest. How do they work? Another big question. Does one need the glass diamond lapping plate to keep them flat? It is a it is the price of this very expensive lapping plate that's keeping me from pulling the trigger. It is expensive. Uh, mm-hmm. could, uh, can another lapping plate, less than $300, be used? Uh, like the DMT, blah, 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 lapping plate. Thoughts and suggestions appreciated. Steve in Oregon. And I don't know that any of us recently got the Shapton glass stones. Am I right in that? I, I, yeah, you, Matt? Uh, I got those like about over a year ago. So I think it's <laughs> uh, listening, to show listening to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, basically the Shapton uh, glass stones are really just like the old Shapton stones, but with less material and there's a glass bottom, a glass backing on them. Right. Yep. yep. So they work just as well. They're great. If I were buying a new set that's today, I would probably just buy those. 
Um, I know I lap mine flat using a DMT uh, diamond flat thing, and that works That works fantastic. I, I definitely don't see a need for a $300 lapping plate. Right. Yeah. And that's what I use with mine. Too. I use just the regular DMT diamond stone because I remember asking the Schwarz what he uses, and he says that that's all he ever uses, just the diamond plates. and, yeah. and it's like a, a course or extra course. I've had that. It works great, and I don't see any issues with the uh, the diamond stone at this point. So that definitely saves me some cash. Cool. I've been I've been using my glass stones for probably five years now, and I used a dia dia flat, this exact one he mentions, to to flatten them. Um, I have a different perspective. I mean, it works great. Don't get me wrong, but I have the Shapton lapping plate because mm-hmm. one of my local SAP from chapter members moved into a retirement home and basically gave it to me for, I think I paid $60 for it. Mm, nice. So here you um, young whippersnapper. Take this. I'm going to get all kinds of hate mail after this, this, this uh, episode, <laughs> but I can tell you um, it works faster. That's the only difference. It's like ridiculously fast. Cause it's got these really deep grooves to carry away the swarf. Oh yeah. So it's like half the time. Um, but if you're flattening often, Let's just put it this way. It was a good five years using a dia flat. Never needed anything else. Yeah. Saw the lapping plate and I thought, I've always wondered what was so special about it. So here's 60 bucks. There you go. So now that I have it, I do use it all the time. But the only difference is that it's just faster. Well, see, and I use the lapping process to clean the stone, you know, with some running water. So every time I'm done sharpening, I do a quick flattening. It takes me two seconds. It's like five or six strokes on the lapping plate and I'm done. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it shouldn't, if it takes a long time, you need to lap more often. <laughs> yeah. So unless you got an old dude who's going to give you one for cheap, uh, just go exactly. with the DMT plate. Or the moral of the story is, is make friends with old dudes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Preferably um, ones that are like really close to that point that they have to be put away. Right. Good God. All right. Well, we got another email. Um, <laughs> we got another email from David who uh, actually was just giving us some information. So um, somebody want to read that real quick? Whoever put that in there? I'm on it. Oh, yeah, go for it. Do it. And uh, let's see, David says, <laughs> I'm doing it. In a recent podcast, you guys talked about connecting a festival to a non-festival dust collector. Here's a bit of useful information from the McFeely's website. Funny, I thought they just sold screws. Um, basically, it's also a product placement for McFeely's. McFeely says, how do you attach uh, festival tools to another brand dust extractor? You simply buy a festival hose. It has the standard two and a quarter inch sleeve to attach it to the tool because what's most important is getting a good connection at the tool and not at the dust extractor. And then you can just get a, um, since it's just a standard two and a quarter inch sleeve, there's you know thousands of people that make those adapters. So right, right. no worries. No worries in doing that. There you go. That's very Thanks, helpful. David. I think we just talked about that. I can't remember in what context, but I know we were talking about adapting it to uh, the sanders and whether or not that's easy to do. So yeah, right. All right, we got another email here from Ben. He says, I'm new to woodworking and I've only used power tools so far. I'm interested in buying a block plane and a hand plane to start my journey into the hand tool world. My primary use would be to clean up rabbits, adjust the fit of a tenon, and smooth out difficult grain boards, plus end grain work. I've read a lot of planes, blah, blah, blah. I have read a lot about hand planes and each one does a specific job well. What confuses me is should I buy a rabbit block plane instead of an adjustable mouth block plane? Would it be better to go low angle instead of a standard angle? Your thoughts and opinions. 
For a hand plane, I was thinking of a number four smoother and a number five jack plane. Your thoughts and opinions. Great show, guys. Really enjoy listening while I work. Keep up the good work. Now, I'll address one thing immediately because this is the exact thing that I was writing about today. There's a point in the book where I'm talking about uh, hybrid woodworking and how you incorporate certain things into the power tool shop. So, so to me, what becomes the most useful? And in this particular case, talking about the block plane, if you don't already have a block plane and you don't necessarily want to have to buy multiple things at once, in my opinion, the first thing to start out with, a great first tool, is the rabbiting block plane. So glad you said that. I was ready to go, no, you're wrong. (laughs) Yeah, because the rabbiting block plane does much of what a regular, well, pretty much everything a regular block plane does. You do have the limitation in that you don't have an adjustable mouth on it, but it still can do just, I mean, what, 99% of what you would do with a block plane And you have the added benefit of the fact that the blade comes all the way out to the edge of the body. If you get a certain model that has the knickers in the front, it's going to slice the grain for you so you have less tear out. So for me, if you're just going to get one for now, the rabbiting block plane is an excellent choice all around. You know, I have to ask this question. For either of you, with with the regular – do you have have a regular block plane, right, right, Mark? Mm -hmm. I have two. The the one with the the mouth the open and closed mouth you really ever use it that much with its mouth open or closed really tight because I have like one setting and very rarely will I actually find myself needing to open and close that mouth for what I'm doing because apparently I don't use my block plane for that much so to me that's like one of those it's a nice feature but at the same time I can't really tell you. Last time I used it. <laughs> well, yes, yes and no. So so no, I don't change it very often. Like you, once I have a position, I kind of hold it there because I tend to use the the plane, the uh, block plane for the same things all the time. Right. So I lock it in place and it really doesn't move very much. But the thing is, the setting that I have it on is very different than what I would have in a block plane that doesn't have an adjustable mouth. It's quite right. a bit smaller. So because okay. of how I like to work... It's a very, you know, only a small shaving can get through there. It's very, uh, very fine cut. I can't get that on a regular plane that that doesn't have an adjustable mouth. So, yeah, I'm not changing it often, but I am using a setting that is unattainable in a different a different version. Well, let's let's be honest. What does an adjustable mouth do for you? It controls tear out. It tightens up the mouth to control tear out. So um, if you're using your block plane, as he says, to tune joinery, Mm -hmm. who cares about the tear out? (laughs) Um, and, and to, to answer your question, Matt, the only time I've ever altered the opening on my block plane is I was too lazy to go pick up a smoother on the other side of the shop. <laughs> so so I adjusted it to make it a smoother and <laughs> I smoothed up a thing. piece of curly maple <laughs> and that was it. And, um, and then I had to, I actually, the next thing I used it for, I was like, damn it, I've got to open this up cause it was clogging. Cause I don't know about you guys, but when I cut chamfers on a board by hand, I don't want to do it in 300 passes. <laughs> right. You know, I like, I the, like it. Fine little, you know, angel hair <laughs> pasta string comes it off brings the me, end. It brings me closer to the work. I just like it. <laughs> what can I say? Well, when you look at the rest of his question where he says, I'm thinking of a number four smoother or a number five jack plane. Um, well, I did a blog post on this last year at Good Get Woodworking Week, which we should say coming up in like two weeks. In February. Um, the, um, and I said the first plane to get is a, is a number four. And this perfectly plays into what you're saying, Mark is, is so many of us, you know, I I want to get into more hand tools. Well, are you really going to do that much milling? Mm-hmm. I mean, even the, the quote exclusively hand tool guys I know, um, use a planer. I use my planer all the time. Yep. Um, 
So if unless you're really going to be milling from rough to completely flat and ready for finish entirely with hand planes, you can do just about everything with a number four. Um, mm-hmm. I would say he doesn't need a number five jack plane because the longer the sole is, the harder it is going to be to get some of that tear out out unless your board is, let me back up. You're going to take a smoothing cut, right? You need a very light cut like two thousands of an inch or even less than that to get that beautiful smooth cut to clear up that tear out. Mm-hmm. Well, that means that your board has to be as flat or flatter than the thickness of the shaving you're taking. So if you're taking a two thousands of an inch shaving, your board has to be flat within two thousands of an inch across the length of the sole of that plane. So if you have a number four, that's like 12 inches long or a number five, that's 18 inches long or 16 inches long, your board now has to be that much flatter in order to get rid of that little tear out in the middle. So to me, the the no-brainer is go with the shorter wheelbase, if you yeah, will, yeah. and go with the number four, and you can use it for so many things, you yeah. know? Well, and um, ultimately, if, if he's looking to get a taste of hand tools, frankly, if you ask me, one of the worst ways to do it is to start replacing your power tools with their with their hand tool analogs. Right, with the heavy lifting Yeah, power you've tool. already yeah. got tools that will do those things. If you want to get into hand tools and you want to enjoy your time, think about the things like the rabbiting block plane. Think about things that help your joinery and improve what you're already doing. And later on down the line, if you decide that you're crazy and that you want to actually mill this stuff by hand, you know, you can, and I meant that with love, you can always go and buy a whole series of planes that will help you mill your, your rough stock and get it four square. Uh, but right now, that may not be the time to do that. Right. So, so yeah, the focusing on that smoother instead of the jack or instead of a plow plane is probably a, a good idea. And you not know, to just, muddy his water a little bit, but I actually tell him if he's going to buy a number four smoother or another bench plane, bench planes being one through eight in the Stanley numbering series, I tell him not to get a rabbit block plane. Buy a router plane. The router plane will be more versatile when it comes to tuning joinery than the rabbiting block plane will be. Mm-hmm. So I just think you're going to end up using that for so much yeah, more. Using Tr- a lot trimming more. tenons, dados, grooves, um, everything. You can do it with the the router plane. But it doesn't sound like he's got a block plane either. Um, you know, so that just in and of itself, that functionality is nice to have. It's kind of a, for me, it's kind of a toss up, but I, I agree. The router plane is also an excellent, excellent choice. Uh, just, just to play devil's advocate, I guess a little bit, I actually had responded to Ben and I mentioned that I, I would often, well, number four is a really great way to go. It's considered often to be a starter plane. I kind of often recommend to people to get a number five because you can kind of use it both as a smoother yeah, and then also too. if you have some rough work on there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. at the same time, tough one. Yeah, it it is. It's it's really a toss up. Either way, would you know? Either either one will work, and I've gotten great results with either. Cool. I mean, I, I think I'm, I even did a, a video on using the number five as your only plane, and I showed how, especially with the bevel up versions, yep. where you can switch out different irons. You can use it for shooting. You can use it for rough, like four scrub plane work. Use it for smoothing, jointing, all of that. But again. Are you actually going to do this? This is a guy that's only used power tools so far. It seems to me, get the Ferrari, you know, that's yeah. tuned for cleaning up tear out yeah. instead of getting the utility player. I don't then, know. I've always been a you're like, person. Yeah. I mean, but I'm very passionate about that. If you can't tell, I get emails three and four a week. I'm thinking of joining the hand tool school. First, I'm going to buy all the tools on your tool list. Once I get those, then I'll join. And I'm like, (laughs) and I'm like, you know, I realize this is a very self-serving comment, but don't do that. Join now 
then get your tools because I've had many a member who've been like, wow, this is great. I hate milling. I just <laughs> bought all these planes and I hate milling by hand. And I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. I mean, you're never going to use your four plane again if you don't like milling by hand. So you just went out and bought a four plane or a joiner plane. You're just, you're just not going to use it again. Keep right. the smoother and sell the others on Craigslist. To that. Or wait till you're older and just give it to a young woodworker. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so it's something that I think, you know, joinery is where most people do their hand tool work. When they say they like doing hand tools, it's all on the joinery side. So in, in my opinion, since we have these tools that do all this heavy lifting for us, uh, your best bet is to go with the really finesse type tools. And that right. to me is the number four and some sort of utility joinery plane. Sounds good. All right, we've got some, uh, well, we have one iTunes review, and uh, we'll read that real quick. But if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, we always appreciate it. Just head to the iTunes store, look up Wood Talk, and uh, give us a star rating. Leave us a little, some kind words there. We'll read them on the show. We have one here from F. Is it true? Right. Right? That's about, that's about it. Uh, he says, if you're looking for something profound or profane, then you came to the wrong place. Since I'm seeking entertainment with some information, I thoroughly enjoy the content of Wood Talk and the banter of Matt shannon and mark so thank you for that five-star review we appreciate it and uh i should also mention the recurring donations i brought those up last week we did have a few people sign up we appreciate that more than you can imagine thank you it just helps us keep everything running paying for the servers and and just all that jazz uh you know you do this for five years you start to accumulate a lot of content Uh, and it just (laughs) uh, very much so it amounts to a lot of bandwidth and and some of us more veteran podcasters are starting to feel the pains of, of all that oh, bandwidth over God, time. Yeah. So, uh, so we do appreciate it. And I did conveniently move some links over to the woodtalkshow.com homepage. You can look over in the left-hand side, and we've got some links there if you want to do a, a small recurring donation or a one-time donation. Uh, every little bit helps, so we, we appreciate that, and thank you. Uh, also want to mention that today's show is sponsored by ArborTech at arbortech.com.au and microjig at microjig.com. So uh, I think, Matt, we can give them the contact info and get the heck out of here. That's right. Well, if you want to leave us a voicemail, find us on Skype. We are Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line with just using your cell phone, your regular phone. Don't use smoke signals. We no longer accept those. <laughs> they make us call. 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And, of course, if you're looking for the show notes or the downloads from today's show or the previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, I'll tell you what, start a Kickstarter campaign and send it to us. I dare you. Yes. <laughs> Jeez, dare you. Seriously. Uh, I wish everybody right now, John, I promise. <laughs> I'm going I'm to do it myself. I'm going to do it too. So, all right, guys, have a good one and we'll catch you later. See ya. Yeah. about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.